The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Today we are starting a 12-week journey through the book of Ephesians. Uh, Along with the book of Colossians, Ephesians was written during Paul's imprisonment in Rome. So keep in mind as we go through this, Paul's in chains as he's writing. Paul had a great affection for the church at Ephesus. Uh, He spent longer there than he did in other places in his missionary journeys. Uh, Ephesus was one of the great cities of the Roman Empire in its time. It was highly populated and it was a thriving center of commerce and trade as well as it was a melting pot of religions and ideas, which made it strategically important for spreading the good news about Jesus throughout the ancient world. Uh, There are some manuscripts of this letter, early ones, that do not include the specific address to the Ephesians. So that point, along with the content of the letter, it leads many to believe This was meant to be read by the believers at Ephesus and then circulated to churches in other cities as well. It doesn't seem, as we're going to read through Ephesians, we'll understand better what I mean. It doesn't seem like Paul was writing to address specific heresies or questions in this letter as he did in others. You know, you'll see in places, Corinthians and other places, he'll say, okay, so about this other thing you wrote. So he's responding to inquiries from the churches. That's not the case. It doesn't seem in Ephesians. So because of that, because he's not doing that, uh, Ephesians is known for kind of standing alone in its majestic and lofty subject matter. Uh, Many have referred to Ephesians as the queen of the epistles. Charles Spurgeon said this about it. The epistle to the Ephesians is a complete body of divinity. In the first chapter, you have the doctrines of the gospel. In the next, you have the experience of the Christians. And before the epistle is finished, you have the precepts of the Christian faith. Whosoever would see Christianity in one treatise, let him read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the epistle to the Ephesians. And so when I say that the content is majestic and lofty, it's, it's deep. And so as we, as we work through this t- together, we're, we're going to be jumping in the deep end of the pool here. So I hope you brought your gospel floaties, uh, because it's going to be a good time. But I I am so excited to study this book with you, because this book has been a source of wonder and delight and instruction and encouragement for followers of Jesus for roughly 20 centuries. And so we're going to join with those that have gone before us in being uh, amazed at this inspired word of God. So let's read uh, verses 1 through 14 together of chapter 1. We'll see what God has for us. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, 
which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Praise God for his word. Amen. Uh, as we go back to the beginning, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul had no need here to defend his apostleship. The believers in Ephesus had not only experienced uh, Paul as apostle church planter, but as apostle pastor. They got to witness the God-given leadership gift in Paul, and they were loved and cared for by him for three years. Uh, Paul eventually installed Timothy there as an elder and charged him to love, lead, and equip the Ephesian believers to live out the gospel by making disciples who love and follow Jesus. Uh, as we move on, in, in just the begin, at the end there of verse 1, it's a, he's addressing those who are, are faithful in Christ Jesus. And I would just hope that we all would pray and seek to be counted among those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. I would hope that this letter could be written to me. Amen. Uh, verse 3 it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Uh, if you want to later, you can do this. Um, if you make a quick Instagram search for the hashtag blessed, uh, you will find 105 million posts consisting of a lot, and I mean a lot of selfies, some nice car pics, uh, there's some vacation photos. There was a girl with what looks like about 20 pounds of celery in her arms. And my personal favorite was a three-foot-tall red hookah. Hashtag blessed. I don't know. I think it's safe to say that we as a society uh, have some confusion about blessing. And I'm not sure that that confusion doesn't sometimes extend into the church. There are a few scriptures in the Bible where you will find uh, material goods associated with God's blessing. And, and we should be grateful for God's gracious provision for us, to be sure. However, the large majority of times the Bible talks about blessing or being blessed by God, it is speaking of spiritual blessing. And many times it is the exact opposite of how we would think about it. I'm going to read you some words from Jesus here. They're pretty famous. Uh, this is from Matthew 5. 
It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I looked for a while and I didn't see any instapics of people being persecuted for the faith with the hashtag blessed. I didn't make it through all 105 million photos, so maybe there are some, but there was a whole lot more of people who were you know, feeling themselves, and so they posted a carefully curated selfie with that hashtag and threw in blessed you know, along there. There was a bunch that seemed to think that wealth and comfort is what it means to be blessed based on their photos. Paul left us no room here to be confused about what he means when he says blessed. First of all, he tells us Jesus Christ has blessed us with spiritual blessings in heavenly places, right? He kind of hits it from two ways to let you know. Uh, This is not talking about mere material possession. These are spiritual blessings. Now, secondly, the the word choice here is is interesting that he uses, uh, and it helps us to make sense of why he starts what he starts here by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's he's saying, blessed be God, and then he's talking about uh, that he's blessed us with spiritual blessings. All three times, the word blessed is used in this verse. Uh, It is different forms of the same Greek word. It's uh, eulogio, okay? And so you'll hear in that, uh, logo a little bit, logos, so it's, it's, it has to do with words. The, the meaning of that word, uh, translated as blessed, is to speak well of or praise. That's what is being said. So really what Paul is saying is, let God be praised, right? He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, and he's, it's the same word every time, just different based on you know the, the language usage, but it's the same root word. What he's saying is, let God be praised or spoken well of because he has spoken well of us in heavenly places. That's, that's a little different than maybe some of us would interpret that based at least on what I saw on Instagram. And, and understanding that this is what is being said, it helps us see why verses 4 through 6 make a lot of sense in the flow of thought. There's no disconnect if you really understand that. The question is, how can God speak well of us in heavenly places When Romans 3 says we have all sinned and rebelled against him. How is God speaking well of us? How has he blessed us in that way? How can the same word be used for speaking well of our perfect God and imperfect sinners? How does that go together? Well, let's look at verses 4 through 8. We find the answer. 
just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. That is how. That is how the same word that is used to be speaking well of our perfect God can be describing the way he's speaking of us. It's because he's speaking of us through the lens of Christ and what has happened for us through his blood, that our trespasses have been forgiven. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, the title of this series is Death to Division. The title of this sermon is Our Purpose Restored. Throughout this series, we want to expose how sin divides, but the gospel destroys division. Specifically tonight, I want to show you how sin caused division between humanity and the purpose for which we were created. But first, I want to show you something that should unite those who belong to Jesus in joyous celebration. What, what I want to show you, it should unite us, if we belong to Jesus, in joyous celebration. But instead, we often let this thing that should unite us divide us. I want to look at verses 4, 5, and 6 again with you. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Now, some people, when trying to understand God's motive for creating us and choosing us to be with him for eternity, uh, sometimes in trying to figure that out, people have divided with other Christians based on their answer. Some would say that God created and chose us out of his love, right? One John says that God is love, and so it seems reasonable that this was his motivation, or at least part of it. Some look at verse 5 and 6 here that we just read, and they say, no, it was not by his love, but simply by the kind intention of his will and for his glory. That the motivation for creation, the motivation for making us and saving us is for his glory alone. Now I'm going to read this again. This is now going to be maybe the fourth time I've read these verses. I'm going to read these to you with some emphasis added. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. What are we arguing about? It's all there. Here's the issue. Those who emphasize God's love when it comes to the motivation for creation and salvation, they are concerned with the motivation being his glory because that seems self-centered to say that God created and saved all of mankind for his glory, that being the centerpiece of the motivation. For them, that seems 
self-centered or selfish. Those who emphasize his glory, they often worry about his sovereignty being diminished if his love for us is included in his motives. It kind of makes it seem like we were too important. Friends, (laughs) if we were made by God and for God, if that's true, then the most loving thing he can do is glorify himself so that we may be drawn to the only source of true life and hope we will ever find. God's glory and God's love are not in competition with each other. They are equally majestic and eternal elements of who he is. As we see that out of his great love for us and by the kind intention of his will, he chose us as his own. The only logical conclusion you can come to is verse 6, which says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. You see, friends, wherever, wherever you would land, whichever part of the verse you key in on, whether it's in love he predestined us, or whether it's according to the kind intention of his will, it's all in there. And all of it should lead us to this one beautiful end point summary of the whole thing. To the glory of his grace. To his glory. Praise God. There's really no contention, there's no division needed there. God's love and God's glory are both intricately and intimately involved in this process we see described here of him creating us and choosing us for which we should be very thankful. This brings us to verses 9 through 11. It says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth, In him also we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. You probably noticed the language here is like that of a math problem. It's kind of like when you see those images, uh, I think of Einstein, but there's other images out there and maybe smarter mathematicians, I don't know, but I'm just imagining I've seen images of him at a blackboard and, and equations all over the thing. It's just packed full of uh, letters and numbers, which I don't think belong together. Um, you know, that's kind of where they lost me. But <clears throat> anyways, but you, you think of a brilliant mathematician working an equation on a giant chalkboard. If you walked in after they had been at it for hours and tried to decipher all the algebra and the calculus that had gone into it, the majority of us would have no idea what was going on. God has been writing out his equation since the beginning of time. And without him explaining it to us, we could never make sense of all that has happened and is happening in the world. But God has given us the answer. As we look at the problem and we are overcome with the realization that we can't possibly figure it out, he points to the bottom of the chalkboard where the sum has already been written. The answer has already been given. And his name is Jesus. That's what is said here. All things summed up in Christ. That is the answer. It says, he made known to us the mystery of his will. He made known to us 
what the garden and the flood and Egypt and the exodus and the kings and the exile and Jesus coming and dying and rising and everything that has happened since then was for. He has shown us the sum that this equation was leading to. All of it has been for the end goal of us and him forever. The inheritance spoken of here that we obtain, it's not because we've earned it or deserve it, but because God is good and gracious and loving and merciful. That's what this math problem leads up to. And God is still writing the equation. We're still in the midst of that equation being written, but he's so gracious that before we finished the problem, he wrote the answer at the bottom. So as we're getting freaked out because we can't hang with the numbers, we can just look at the bottoms. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's where we're headed. It's okay. Amen. Amen. Verses 12 through 14. To the end that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of his glory, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who's given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. There is a point to all of this. It is the purpose we were created for. Sin separated us from this eternal purpose. And this eternal purpose is stated three times in these 14 verses. So just in case we missed it the first or second time, we see it three times in 14 verses. Verse 12 says, To the end that we who were first to hope in Christ would be the praise of his glory. What is he talking about there? He's referring there to the Jewish people. He's referring to the fact that those who hoped in Christ first were were physical descendants of Abraham. And why was that? Well, that was because God called Abraham, who responded to him by faith, counted to him his righteousness, and then Abraham had a miracle son named Isaac, then Isaac had Jacob and Esau, and then Jacob had sons, and then, and then on down the story, right? And then we, tra- we track Joseph into Egypt, and then out come through the Exodus, and then we end up in the wilderness, and Moses is involved, and we've got Mount Sinai, and then we've got the judges, and the whole deal, we conquer the land, and then we get comfortable and forget about God, and we have to go into exile, right? That's, that's the whole biblical timeline. That the point is that Paul's making there. We, we who first came to trust in Christ, he's talking about the fact that that came out of the story of the Old Testament. It came out of God dealing with the Jewish people. Okay, so that's what he's talking about. First of all, the, that the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. That's those physical descendants of Abraham. But then, but then in thirteen it says, "In Him you also." Okay, so who's you also? That's everybody else. That's everybody else that would come behind and would come to believe in Christ. So that would be the Gentiles that Paul is preaching to. That would be these believers in Ephesus. That would be also the believers sitting here today in the Cincinnati region. That's us, okay? And what, is it, what does it say? What, is, what, is the, what, what then is the point? I told you that there's, there's a point to all of this. There's a purpose we were created for, and it's mentioned three times. So what is the summary? Okay. It says, in him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who's given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. 
to the praise of his glory. Three times. First, we see it up at the top, to the praise of the glory of his grace. And we see it twice more, to the praise of his glory. I think maybe the Holy Spirit through Paul is making a point here. That's not very many verses to have the same phrase laid out. And it's very strong uh, in, in the... This, this is not just an inference. This is not an inference I'm drawing. Well, yeah, I know it says it three times. We were made for the praise of his glory. Sin created a barrier that stopped us from fulfilling that purpose. But by the power of the gospel, that barrier has been destroyed. And we can once again fulfill the eternal occupation for which we were created. To be loved by God and to love him in return to the praise of his glory. You might be saying, are you sure? You said it's not an inference, and I know it says it three times, but are you sure? Because you're making a big claim. You understand I'm making a big claim here. I'm telling you what your purpose is. Now, let's, let's say this. There are other purposes in life. You have a purpose, you know, you got a job, there's a purpose there. If, if you've got family to love and take care of, there, there's a purpose there. You've got you got friends, you got uh, education, whatever you're doing. There, there are other lesser purposes, but what I'm saying is there is a greater purpose. There's an umbrella purpose under which all the rest of those purposes come up under and under which all those other purposes have to be submitted. And so if I have a, if I have a lesser purpose of occupation here on earth or loving my family well or being uh, a part of the church of God and, and using the gifts God's given me to be a part of the body of Christ, what, what, whatever, what, whatever those lesser things are, Whatever those lesser purposes are, they all come up under and are submitted to this great master purpose for every human being. What is that? To be to the praise of his glory, that our existence is for the praise of his glory. How do I know that? Verse 12. Let's do 11. Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Then what does it say? To the end, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. To the end that we would be to the praise of his glory. And then what's the next thing he says? And you also. Who's the and you also? Raise that hand up, unless you're in, you know, got straight lineage from Abraham, which maybe some of you do. I'm not saying you don't. But either way, you're covered. Because it's those who were to hope first, the lineage of Abraham, and all the rest of you. For what? For what point? For what point did, uh, have we been predestined? What, for what point is that, was that done according to the purpose of he who works all things for the counsel of his will? To the end that we would be to the praise of his glory. I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know, I don't know what my purpose is in life. I just helped you to be the praise of his glory. Well, it's, that's okay. How do I do that? Well, that means in, in, in the way we work to the praise of his glory, in the way we love our family to the praise of his glory, in the way we do all that we do. There's other verses that would help us back this up, right? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do what? Do it to the glory of God. This 
is the purpose of every human. To the degree you submit to that, to the degree that you rejoice in the fact that the highest point and purpose of your existence is to bring glory to God, is going to determine how much fulfillment and joy and peace you have in this life. To the degree that you try to run from that ultimate purpose for which you were created, that's going to determine how much angst and anxiety and difficulty you have. That's not to say that submitting to the purpose of our lives being to the praise of his glory means we will be without trouble. Uh, however, the glorious promise is that, I mean, we read those verses earlier, blessed are those that are persecuted because of my name, right? So we know that that comes with it, but the beauty is when we are seeking to have our lives fulfill that ultimate purpose of being to the praise of his glory, we have the promise of his presence with us. We have the promise of his help. We have the promise that God is for us and with us. And because of that, um, there may be difficulty, but there will also be peace. There may be tragedy, but there will also be joy. And these things cannot be taken from us. This idea of being to the praise of his glory, it, it does to some degree elicit thoughts of, of, of eternity and that ultimate goal of people of every tribe, nation, and tongue standing before the unveiled glory of God, declaring his infinite worth. That, that is in this, but it is not just that. This is not just so that we can fulfill our purpose in eternity, friends. We are to exist for the praise of his glory now. This is why we've been given the Holy Spirit as a pledge of our inheritance. That's what's being talked about uh, as you come down to verses 13 and 14. It says, in him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. The point I'm making is that this is not just for eternity. We are to live to the praise of his glory now, and that's why the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a pledge of our inheritance. When we acknowledge our need for Jesus, when we repent of sin and receive the free gift of salvation by faith, the Bible says we are filled then with the Holy Spirit. And from that point on, we are no longer slaves to sin. And this is why verse 14 talks about redemption, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. That redemption language, is it, it means to, to purchase. And We heard earlier that the price for the purchase, that we could be freed from slavery to sin, that price was the blood of Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin because of this pledge of our inheritance in the Holy Spirit. We have the power to no longer live as dead men and women. To live as blind. We are free and we can see. We are completely unable. We are completely unable to fulfill our purpose of praising his glory without the power of the Holy Spirit. We are completely unable to acknowledge God's glory ourselves or reflect the beautiful radiance of his glory to others without the power of the Holy Spirit. 
completely unable. We can't do it. Even with the Holy Spirit's help, we will not fulfill our purpose perfectly. And this is why the language of a pledge is used here. We're not seeing the fullness, but this pledge and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it can give us a glimpse, foretaste of our full inheritance. Because, dear friend, one day, there will be no more sin. There will be no more pain. We will not have divided affections. Frailty and failure will be no more for those who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. And we will experience the fullness of joy as we fulfill our eternal purpose to the praise of his glory. Amen. Amen. May we be a faithful people and a truly blessed people. May we who have believed the gospel of our salvation reflect to those who have yet to behold its beauty how worthy our God is to have all that we are and all that we do be to the praise of his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. Lord God, we thank you for these verses. We thank you that you have made us for the purpose of being to the praise of your glory. God, help us to receive that truth with joy. Help us, God, to care about walking that out. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of this beautiful declaration. God, help us. Help us to see blessing the way you see it. Help us, Lord not to be fools when it comes to that. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us to value above all else this precious inheritance that we've been given, to understand how much it costs, how precious the blood of Christ really is. Lord, help us. Help us to not get pulled into divisiveness where there is no need. God, we rejoice in the fact that You created us and saved us because you love us and you created us and you saved us for your glory. We receive both of those truths, God, and we rejoice with exceedingly great joy because of it. Thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are far deeper and bigger than we could ever fully comprehend. We thank you, Lord, that you are the master mathematician, that you are writing the equation, but that you knew... (laughs) You knew we couldn't keep up with you. And so you let us see the answer before the problem was solved all the way. You pointed and you showed us that Jesus is our hope. And so God, as we look around in this day and we see, we see the issues, we see things unfolding that we don't understand when, when we can't see how it is you're working in the midst of it, God, help us to trust in the answer we've been given. Thank you for showing us Christ. Thank you for revealing as much as we can see and understand how glorious and trustworthy you really are. Lord, help us to walk in the power of this pledge you've given us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you've promised and you've come through on your promise, that you have empowered us, that you've given us your spirit to no longer live as slaves, but you've redeemed us and you've taken us from a place of wearing chains, of being 
beholden to sin and foolishness and you've set us free. God, let us not use that freedom selfishly. Let us not just enjoy that freedom for ourselves, but God, may our hearts be broken for those who have yet to be set free. God, may we join you wholeheartedly with passion on the mission of setting people free from sin and death. Thank you, God, that you would entrust us to be a part of what you're doing, that you would allow us to come alongside you in your mission of loving people, of setting them free, of bringing them to the place where they can fulfill the purpose for which you created them. And God, may each one of us hear within the sound of my voice and may we as your church collectively, may we live lives, may we conduct ourselves in such a way that it would be to the glory of your grace and to the praise of your glory. We want to do what you made us for, God. Thank you that it's possible because of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.